The first time I got one of the videos, I thought it was a joke. My phone buzzed in the middle of the night despite me having Do Not Disturb on. When I unlocked it, a video started playing. It was a single continuous shot that looked like it might be coming from some kind of body camera as it shifted between normal and night vision a few times during the video as well, primarily when the person wearing the camera started moving across the parking lot. They were watching a guy putting a heavy-looking messenger bag into the trunk of his car, their raspy breathing the only thing I could hear. I was still half asleep at this point, and I figured my phone had somehow started playing a jump scare video or something. Maybe I'd left the video app open by mistake, or worse, some virus had gotten in and started spamming some dumb shit. I really didn't want the hassle of having to... A thought died as I saw what was happening on the screen camera had followed this man as he left a nearby office building. Wherever it was, it looked like it was late at night, and his car was one of the only three left in the large lot in the nearby road, while several lanes only had a couple of cars passing as the video's view tracked him trudging across the asphalt and opening his trunk to stick in the bag. It was as he was leaning over that they started to move closer, and again, I thought they were going to scare him or spray him with water or something. People did dumb, silly shit on the internet all the time now, and maybe it was their buddy or something. He must have heard them as they got closer, because he turned around to the last second. The man had enough time to look surprised, and then he was shuddering, the sharp crackle of what sounded like a stun gun firing just out of view. He was already falling to his knees when the crackling stopped, and a hand came into view, shoving him back against the bumper of his car. He was trying to flail and resist, but his movements were still too jerky and uncoordinated to offer much defense. A few more seconds, and maybe he could have fought back, but he didn't have a few more seconds. The stun gun had been put away, apparently, because when the other hand came to be visible again, it was holding a long... Well, it looked like a long-pointed screwdriver, but when I looked it up later, I think it's called an awl. They rammed the awl through the man's neck. It went in one side, but it took a grunt of effort to get it pushed all the way through. The middle of it was just long enough for the tip to poke out the other side when it was driven home. The man jerked again, this time a small spray of blood coming from his mouth as his eyes widened slightly. The reaction, the blood, it was so small, so undramatic. I guessed most of the bleeding would have been going on on the inside, and he was probably in shock, but it was also understated. I well, I didn't know what I expected. I guess I was in shock, too. The hand left his chest, and he began to slump down, but then he was being caught, lifted, and stuffed into the trunk of his own car. His face was slack now, his eyes glassy. He was still waving his arms slightly, but his hands looked like dying moths fluttering against the closing of their last moments. The stalker, the killer, found what they were looking for, the car keys, and they closed the trunk. And with that, the video ended. My phone immediately went back to its home screen. I tried pulling up recent apps, but there was nothing that would have played that video and I couldn't find any trace of it on my phone at all. I thought about calling someone, my brother, the cops, someone, but I wasn't sure what to say. 
Surely it was all just some virus or a joke, and either way I had no proof of anything other than my word. People would say I was making it up or that it was a bad dream. So, I turned off my phone, resolving to wipe it the following day and see if I noticed any more strangeness after that. I had an early day and wanted to get back to sleep. But I never could. It irritated me. Probably some viral video for a new horror movie or some dumb shit, and here I was exhausted because of it. That day at work, I even looked online for people complaining about similar ads or pranks or viruses, but nothing seemed to fit. I texted my brother Tom about it, but he said it was probably just some hacker bullshit that I needed to stop looking at porn so much or get better antivirus. I did a factory reset on my phone and re-downloaded everything, and for the next few days, there were no signs of any problem. And then two weeks later, when I was stuck in afternoon traffic on my way to my parents for the weekend, my phone buzzed beside me. My stomach clenched when I opened the phone. It was a new video. This video was set during the day, and whoever was using the camera was walking down a wooded trail somewhere. At first, it looked like they were just down for a hike, but as they rounded the next corner, you could hear a woman's voice whisper. There they are. A hundred yards ahead, there was a couple hiking the trail, too, both of them wearing backpacks and the man carrying a long walking stick. Even though nothing has happened yet, I already suspect this video is going to be similar to the last one, and like the last one, it'll end in some possibly real but hopefully simulated act of violence. My first thought is to pause and go find someone to show so I have a witness, but I'm stuck in the middle of a lane on an interstate at a standstill, and I can't find a way to pause the video anyway. So instead, I just watch. The mystery hiker closes ground on the couple, but then suddenly, they're gone, and I have a hopeful moment where I think maybe they've gotten away. I think the hiker is worried about it too as she picks up her pace. When she sees a blue mark on the tree and a small sign marking the side of the path to a shelter, she lets out a nervous laugh. From there, it only takes her a couple of minutes to reach them at the shelter. She doesn't waste time. I can see the handgun in the camera. She doesn't waste time. I can see the handgun in the camera's peripheral vision, and she makes them both get down on their knees. They try to argue, but when she advances, her voice shaking but hard as she draws near, they hear or see something in her that makes them comply. She tosses down two bundles of what looked like nylon cord and tells the woman to tie the man's hand behind his back and tie his ankles, leaving a bit of slack between them and running up to be tied with his hands. Enough slack he can still walk a little, but not much. When the woman starts crying and saying she can't do it, the hiker offers a simple choice. Either the woman does it, and does it well, or she'll be shot in the head and the hiker will do it herself. The woman ties up the man quickly, but with great care. And when that's done, the hiker gives the woman more rope for her own ankles before having her lay on her stomach so her own wrists can be bound behind her. They're both truly caught now, wrists and ankles tied and connected. They're forced to their feet, made to shuffle into the woods behind the shelter. They're made to walk at gunpoint for a few minutes until the woods have grown thicker and harder to travel through, and for a moment, I wonder if they're just going to keep going until they leave the woods altogether or set up a camp. But then they reach a small clearing, just a patch of leaves and grass between all the clusters of trees and bushes. 
The hiker makes them stand against one of the closest trees while she fans out a large blue tarp across the ground. They look terrified when she tells them to get on the tarp and lay down. I want to scream for them to run, to fight, to do something, because even they should know by now that she's going to kill them. And there's still some defiance in their eyes, but it's swallowed by their fear, or maybe some small cowardly voice that tells them that if they just go along, it'll all turn out okay. The camera shows it all as they die. The hiker kneels on the man's back and slits his throat, the blood spraying across the tarp as he thrashes for a moment before going still. The woman screams for several seconds, and then starts trying to get up again, maybe to get away, but it's too late. The hiker is on her now, bleeding her like she had her friend or husband or whatever he was to her. When it's done, the hiker walks over behind some brush a few yards away. A large, deep hole has been dug here previously, and after inspecting it briefly, she goes to the edge of the tarp and begins tugging it toward the unmarked grave. The work is slow, and I can hear grunts of exertion, but the fallen leaves offer little resistance as the blue plastic glides over them, and in less than five minutes, she's gotten them drug into a hole and pulled the tarp free. She fills the grave, then rolls up the tarp and carries it with her. At first, she is heading deeper into the woods, and it's soon clear why. There's a small, steadily flowing stream here, and she uses the water to rinse off the remaining blood on the tarp before folding it up and stowing it away. The hiker goes back through the trees until she's back at the shelter. Once she's there, she takes out the blue tarp and hangs it up as though to provide a partial wall on the open side of the structure. I think she's preparing the spot to stay up there for a while, but no. Once the tarp is secure, she turns and walks back to the trail, and a moment later, the video ends. Watching the entire thing took up close to 30 minutes, and in that time, I had slowly inched up a mile toward the three-car accident that had shut down three of the four lanes on my side of the interstate. I could see the emergency lights. Another few minutes, and I'd pass the bottleneck. I could even try to get the attention of one of the cops at the crash, but it might be better to just go to a police station and show them. And then it was gone again. The fucking video was just gone. No sign of what happened played it or how. No sign of how to get it back. Maybe if I took my phone to the cops, they could figure out a way of recovering or tracing where it came from, but it was doubtful. And I was even more doubtful anyone would listen to me without some proof of the weird shit I was claiming to have seen. When the next exit came, I stayed on the interstate. I was worried now. Worried and scared I was getting pulled into something real and dangerous. But wasn't it still just as likely it was all fake? I had no real way of knowing anyone was being hurt or killed, did I? It wasn't like I knew these people or where they were and could check. And that was all true. At least until I got the next video. This time... It was night again, close to midnight and five days after the freeway video. My phone jumped as I was brushing my teeth, and when I picked it up, I saw the camera's point of view, though it was partially obstructed on both sides. I realized after a moment this was because the camera and the killer were hiding in a closet with the door cracked. Looking closer at what lay beyond the door, I realized something else. I recognized the room they were in. 
I dated Carol Leaves for about four years before she broke up with me last summer. She'd been my first serious girlfriend after college, and I'd been convinced that she was the one. I was saving up for an engagement ring when she came over and told me she was done. No big fight, no reasons given, just that she wasn't happy anymore, and she didn't want to be with me any longer. It... It was hard on me. I wondered if she'd been cheating on me, but there was no sign that she had. I tried to get her back, groveled even, but all it did was make me more distasteful to her and make me hate myself even more than I'd already did. I turned bitter and angry, withdrawing from everyone and everything for over a month before my brother finally came over and talked to me about it. Being an asshole, I glared at him. Wasn't asking your opinion, but thanks anyway. Tom rolled his eyes as he shook his head. Look, dumbass, I love you. And I know Carol dumping you sucks, but it happens, okay? You're not entitled to be with someone just because that's what you want or because it's convenient for you. She has to look out for herself and her own happiness. And from what you've told me, she hasn't done anything wrong. I grimaced at him. She's a fucking bitch. My brother's expression hardened slightly. So you've said. Repeatedly. She betrayed you. She'll get what she deserves. I've heard all that shit. He stabbed a finger in my direction. And I'm tired of it. You're not a victim. And she's not some villain or whatever. So get your shit together, quit whining, and stop being an asshole, okay? The only one you're hurting is yourself. He'd been right, of course. I knew I'd been hard to be around, and worse, I knew I treated Carol worse than she deserved. I tried to apologize a year ago through text, but I never heard back and decided to leave well enough alone. Now I was seeing in her living room through the lens of a killer's camera. This couldn't be real, could it? Maybe she was behind all of it, paying me back for being such a dick last year. It didn't seem like something she'd do, but maybe. My breath caught as I saw her walk into the room on the video. I hadn't seen Carol in months, but it was undeniably her. She was in those pajamas like she wore a lot at night, and as I watched in horror, she settled down onto the couch to watch TV. I felt a small twinge of that familiar pain and anger at seeing her, but it was nothing compared to my fear. I needed to call her and see if she was okay. I could make my phone close the video, but I finally managed to use a voice command to make a call to her. A second after I faintly heard it start to ring, I saw Carol reach for her phone on the video. My throat grew thick and tight. Oh god, this was all happening live. Josh? I was watching the video and couldn't turn on the speakerphone, so her voice was muted, but still clear enough that I could hear the tension in her voice. Carol, there's someone in there with you. Please, this isn't me fucking with you. Get out and call 911. Please, I'm... Josh, are you there? On the video, she pulled the phone away from her ear and stared at it with a frown. She couldn't hear me. Why couldn't she hear me? I went to say something else when the video changed. The closet door was pushed wider and the camera, the killer, 
began to ease out behind the sofa where Carol sat. If she hadn't been so focused on her phone, she might have noticed the movement, but as it was, there was no sign of her hearing me or detecting the person creeping up behind her. Tears came to my eyes as I screamed and screamed for her to turn around to run. Before she did either, a plastic bag was suddenly yanked down over her head and pulled tight around her neck. I thought they were going to suffocate her, but that's when the hammer started striking her head through the back. Her arms and legs jolted at the first blow, but by the third, she was lifeless. Oh, God. Oh, you fuckers. You motherfuckers. Call 911. Remembering I didn't say the trigger words for voice commands, I tried again to call 911, but no response. On the video, Carol was being drunk through the house and out the back door. This wasn't working, and I didn't have a landline. It was a 30-minute drive, but I'd had to head over there myself. Maybe I could help her, at least catch the sick freak behind it. I grabbed my keys and was heading toward the door when my phone buzzed in my hand. Looking down... I saw she was now being loaded in the back of an SUV with the license plate covered up, but only part of the scene was visible. The rest was covered up by a message from an app I'd never heard of before. Welcome to the Cryptic Messenger app. Congratulations, you've been selected for this beta test after a thorough automated and human review of your online persona and activity. Throughout the last few weeks, you've received several different videos. We've watched you view them through our front-facing camera and are glad to see they've had an impact. Blood in my ears, I tapped on the screen and the message changed. As you may have guessed, all these videos are authentic and live-streamed to you via your own application. The latest video is unique, of course, in the fact that it is someone you actually know. We hope that you enjoyed watching what's going on with Carol Joan Leaves as much as we did. If you attempt to utilize your device for contacting the victim or authorities during the video, you'll notice that the ability to communicate is currently very limited. If you tried to record these videos, you no doubt notice that the video will not display while another electronic device is visible to your primary device's cameras. If you are very clever and naughty, you may have tried using a hidden camera to fool our app and letting the video be recorded. Feel free to check that recording. Thanks to our proprietary random sequence frequency modulation, you'll see that the unauthorized recordings of our broadcast are not discernible upon playback. Similarly, a forensic analysis of your device will not reveal the presence of this app, the videos, or any other malware as our backdoors allow quick and easy download and deletion at the times we feel are optimal for your isolated viewing pleasure. My hands were shaking badly as I tapped the screen again. All of this is interesting, but it's just a technical foundation for a much more significant innovation we're very proud of. Crowdsourced murder. The people that ended lives in the videos you've seen, all different people in different places, and more importantly, they are all viewers just like you. We select our audience very carefully, looking for markers in your personality, interactions, and activities to decide if you're right for our program. When selected, a viewer is provided with several live streams of others doing the deed. The last of these will be someone that is connected to the viewer themselves. Someone that, based on our data, would likely either want them dead or would be very heavily suspected if they were found violently killed. This is bullshit. I, I never... The screen flickered and a new series of images popped up. It was a series of screenshots of text messages and emails I'd sent to Carol in the weeks after she broke up with me and rejected my attempts at reconciliation. I know you're cheating on me, you fucking bitch. 
It was a lie all from the start, wasn't it? You're gonna pay for this. I hope you die. Shuddering, I had to fight from throwing the phone across the room. I wasn't sure if they could hear me or not, but I started yelling into the phone anyway. I didn't mean it. I was mad and and hurt, and I didn't want to hurt her. I didn't want you fuckers to kill her. The screen flashed again and another message appeared. You're likely denying you wished her any real harm right now. Perhaps we don't know you as well as we think we do. Or maybe you're just not very honest with yourself. At this point, it's irrelevant. You have two choices. Resist or comply. Resistance can take many forms. You're welcome to go to the authorities, tell family and friends, go on a personal crusade to find us and take us down yourself. Resistance in any form will end in the same set of consequences. First, an anonymous tip will be sent to the local authorities that a person roughly matching your description was seen at Carol's house, last leaving the location at the time she was killed. Rest assured, this tip will be sent after enough time has passed to ensure the time of death cannot be narrowed sufficiently to give you an alibi, even if you are sitting outside a police station right now. Evidence will later be found of your past unpleasantries with the deceased. This will be followed by law enforcement becoming aware of a dead body that's been found matching their victim's description, a body with your DNA on it. They'll never have proof of what really happened. They check your phone, although fine, is more proof that you did the killing. If they track your GPS location, they'll find that you are at the site of the killing and then at the site of the body disposal, just like everything else tells them you would be. You'll spend the rest of your life hated, alone, and afraid. Compliance only has one form. You do not tell anyone about this. If you hear that someone you know has gone missing, you act surprised and sympathetic, but do not get further involved. You keep your phone with you, and in the next few weeks you'll receive another set of messages. These messages will give you the person you were to kill, where they are, how to kill them, and how and where to dispose of their body. Just like the person that murdered Carol, you will be wholly unrelated to your victim, and so long as you are not caught in the act and follow the provided instructions, you will never be looked at in connection with their disappearance. This may seem unfair or cruel, and it is, and that it is also irrelevant. What is relevant is that this is real and it's happening now. You're deciding now. Your decision either way will not bring back anyone from death or impact our progress in any way. We will be going forward to a full product launch in the future, but we do value the data your responses provide. In the end, the choice is yours. Resist or comply. You have 15 seconds. The last message faded away to be replaced by two large buttons. Resistance and compliance. Above it, a timer was already at 13. This was insane. I couldn't go along with it, could I? Kill an innocent person for no reason? Ten. Nine. I paused as a new thought struck me. But there was a reason, wasn't there? They had to hurt someone or made someone else mad, or maybe they were a bad person. Still, to kill someone else just to... Six. Five. Just to save my life. It... It was... It was like self-defense, really. I was protecting myself by taking a life, and it wasn't my fault that I'd been targeted by these... two. Eyes widening, I tapped frantically at the screen, terrified it wouldn't register my input in time. 
God, please let me to have gotten it in time. Thank you for your compliance. We'll be seeing you. The screen went dark, turning the black surface into a midnight mirror where I saw myself. Eyes wide, nostrils flared, I looked scared. Crazy, even. But that wasn't the part that bothered me so much. It was that moment, brief but indelible, before I realized I could see myself, a moment where I caught a glimpse of me as I really am. And I was smiling. blood. At least, that's what it looked like. An ocean of red tossing and turning in the field behind my house. At the center of this blood sea, a door, void of any connecting architecture, standing absolutely still despite the pandemonium unfolding around it. Every so often the tides would climb the wood and submerge its shape completely. After each dip beneath the waves, it would resurface, closer than before, beckoning me to reach for it and reveal the secrets held within. Soon enough, it filled my field of view. And then... Blackness. I always woke from this dream panicked. Something about it shook me to the core. I didn't want to open the door, but it had this strange hold over me. An unseen force seemed to govern my will. Luckily, in these nightmares, I was never able to turn the knob. Always an observer, taking a back seat to the scene itself, and... What a horrific scene it was. A feeling more than a view. An indescribable dread that only ever felt fully set in when I awoke. It was enough to render me stricken with fear on many restless nights. Last night was no exception. The dream came and went, just as it always did. I jumped to a sitting position and gathered my wits. And turning my head toward the bedroom window, I saw it. Out in the clearing, halfway between the house and the forest's edge, it was the door. The one from my dream, soaked in moonlight. I couldn't believe it. In an utterly broken state, I rubbed my eyes to make sure I wasn't seeing things. I pinched myself to know that I was awake. Indeed, it was. The sight before me was... a real one. Just as it had in my dreamscape, the damned thing called to me. A sickening call that resonated through every last bone in my body. I couldn't fight the insatiable curiosity that overtook me in this moment. It was enough to nudge a frightened child into the dark or a feeble mouse to birds of prey. A pull so strong, it made me need the door as much as I needed the air in my lungs. A terrible, wicked need. Unable to resist, I ventured out to the field and stepped over to it. My heart pounding so hard it echoed off the door's wood. Contrary to the signals, I sent my body to run. I stayed. Not only did I stay, but I reached for the knob. Luckily, my hand stopped mid-turn. Perhaps it was the adrenaline, or 
Maybe the overwhelming fear that cascaded throughout my body. Either way, I was able to regain my movement and back away from the door. This small victory over the mysterious powers that befell me, however, would be short-lived. It was soft at first, like a creek rolling in the woods, but it grew louder and more powerful. A river, then a waterfall. And then finally, a dam bursting out into the world, a relentless energy devouring everything in its path. It was a familiar sound, one that I knew very well. I turned and saw the blood from my dream, a tsunami of horrific proportions hung in the night air for a brief moment before crashing down to earth. It engulfed my home in seconds. I had no choice at this point. Just before it touched the land at my feet, I opened the door and stepped inside, swiftly closing it shut behind me. I was now an animal, caught in the trap of an unknown hunter. A hunter who would soon sink his talons into my flesh. It was a room, the kind you might see upon entering an office building. There was a desk with a receptionist tapping away at a keyboard and stairs leading up to the next floor, but the design, it was all white. I had to turn away at first, blinded by the brightness. When my eyes adjusted, I turned back and the receptionist took notice. Oh, hello there. Come, please. I won't bite, I promise. I hesitantly stepped over to the front desk. She smiled. What is this place? I asked. She dodged the question. Sorry for the theatrics. It was the only way we can get people to open the door. The allure isn't enough, it seems. Human fear is one thing we don't fully understand yet. We're still working out the kinks, you see. I looked at her, confused, not completely sure what she was rambling on about. Oh, I almost forgot. You're expected upstairs in room 371. I'll take you there. Before I could object, she walked down behind the desk and grabbed me by the arm, pulling me up the stairs with a vicious grip, smiling the whole way up. Don't look so troubled, dear. It'll be over before you know it. A quick procedure. Then you can move on. Where are you taking me? What is this place? What the hell is going on here? She smiled again. You humans are always so inquisitive. Such a strange trait. Soon enough, we arrived at what I presume was room 371, a black door at the end of a long white hall. The dissonance was unsettling. Here we are. The receptionist knocked twice at the door. An older gentleman opened up to greet us. He was maybe in his fifties. Well-dressed, gray mustache. Ah, yes. This must be our latest arrival. How are you? He asked. I want to go home. Right now, I demanded. The man and woman chuckled. So strange how they always tend to say that. <laughs> well, let's begin. The receptionist handed me to the gentleman and closed the door behind us. I was now in an equally black room, small, maybe 12 meters by 12 meters, with a chair akin to one in a dentist's office 
and a podium behind it, upon which was a device. Before I could get a better look, the man pushed me into the chair, restraints automatically wrapped around my wrists and ankles. What the hell is this? I tried to break free, but it was no use. Calm down. You'll only make things worse for yourself. It's best if you don't struggle. Not much point in it, anyhow. Another individual entered the room. A younger gentleman. Henry, where in God's name have you been? Quick, come man the controls. Yes, sir. Sorry, sir. Henry stepped over to the podium and started adjusting things. The older man walked over to me and smiled. He pulled a sharp silver utensil from his pocket. Don't fight it. It's just a few... small incisions. That's all. In a flash, the silver met my forehead. It was over so fast I barely had time to wince. The man had engraved three straight lines into the skin just below my hairline. There. That wasn't so bad, Henry. Are we ready? Yes, sir. Everything's been calibrated. Good. I chimed in. Why don't you just kill me already? They both laughed. Then the older man leaned in. Do you think that's what we're doing? No, no. We're extracting your soul. But first, we need to access your memories. The powerful ones. The recollections that have stuck with you, even after long bouts of time have passed. I felt Henry place a helmet on me. It shrunk to match the outline of my head. The man gave it a few knocks. This here will show us what we need to see. Then, the pathway should illuminate. A roadmap to the human soul. That's what we need. Fire it up, Henry. Small... Prickly needles pierced the cuts on my forehead from within the helmet. Then, an image appeared on the black wall ahead. Like a projection, almost. It was... a memory. One of... my memories. As I watched Awestruck, something happened. My consciousness was seemingly transferred. In an instant, I was transported to the scene, now reliving the moment on the wall. Rebecca and I stared at the farmhouse. It wasn't much to look at, but it had potential. That and the land around it was vast, surrounded by a beautiful forest. Is it everything you hoped it would be? Rebecca asked, wrapping her arms around me. It is, actually. I put my arms around her and met her gaze. We'd been together for only a year, but I knew. Before this point, I truly cared for her, but in this moment, I fell. <laughs> now that we were starting a life together, all bets were off. She was the one, and I couldn't have been happier. I awoke in the black room like a diver coming up for air. My lungs were on fire. Reliving memories was... Not a painless procedure. No, Henry, what have I told you a thousand times before? Happy memories won't do. They're not powerful enough. Find me something dreadful and do it fast before he's a goner. Goner? I asked. 
The receptionist entered and handed the man a cup. A beverage I can only guess was their equivalent to coffee. Thank you, Mildred. Lord knows I need it. She left. Henry fiddled around at the helm and charted course for a different moment in my sordid past. In an instant, I was transported there. This was one memory I tried so desperately to forget. It was dark, right around midnight. I woke up to an empty rest of the bed. I assumed Rebecca had gone to the bathroom. I can't explain it, but as I waited for her to return, something felt wrong. The kind of feeling when you enter a room and a picture frame is slightly askew. You can tell something's amiss, but never quite put your finger on what. I laid there for a long while, and while the unrest consumed me, I laid there for a long while and let the unrest consume me. It was only then that I decided to get out of bed and go see if Rebecca was alright. Something drew my attention to the window. A figure in the clearing behind the house. I stepped over to the glass for a better look and saw it. It was Rebecca, falling to the ground. My heart sank. I raced out of the house, screaming her name. When I reached her, I knelt to the ground beside her. She was covered in blood, holding a kitchen knife. She cried and spoke with what little energy she had left. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I had to. The voices. They wouldn't stop. I had to make them stop. I... Her voice trailed off. The life left her eyes. And then she was gone. Once again, I sprang to life in that godforsaken black room, left to reflect on my past. Rebecca was mentally ill. She was seeing a psychologist, but unbeknownst to me, she'd stopped taking her medication. I had no idea her condition would get that bad. I had no idea she would even think of taking her own life. And of course... It was all my fault. I should have seen the warning signs. I should have sought better counsel. I should have gotten out of bed sooner. That's why the nightmare started, I thought. It always took place in that damp field. The wood and the ocean, the same shade as the blood that spilled from her veins. I thought it was a manifestation of my own guilt. She was the door, and that's why I felt the need to come to it, but I knew, just as I had that night, that something was amiss, something that kept me scared of it. My introspection was interrupted by the older gentleman. Henry, that's it. A perfect memory if there ever was one. Keep going. We need another. Just one more should do it. Look for... The sound of liquid meeting something electrical filled my ear. Sparks flew into my peripheral vision. The man had spilled his drink on the controls. Oh, dear God, I hear Henry say. Henry, how could you let this happen? Me? It was then that a new image appeared on the wall, and I was once again transported to another place. This time, I didn't know what to expect. 
drowning. Drowning in the ocean of red that plagued my nightmares, and there, at the center of the field, was the door in all of its ominous glory. I tried to swim, but the currents were far too fierce. Whilst treading water, the door opened. My wife, Rebecca, was within. She spread her arms and the waves followed. The sea parted before me and I landed on the ground below, coughing the contents of my lungs out into the field. I turned to see her stepping past the threshold of the doorway. She walked out into the field, walls of red water on either side of her. Eventually, she stopped where I was and looked down at me. She was beautiful. Just as beautiful as the day we met. Hello, my love. I tried to respond, but there was still water in my throat. One blink and she was gone. Her voice met my ear from behind. Why didn't you save me? I turned and saw her, now bloodied. It was the same state she was in when I found her in the field. Was I not good enough? Did you want me to die? I finished clearing my airways and stood, tears rolling down my cheeks. I'm sorry, Rebecca. I didn't know. I... She interjected. That's not good enough. She vanished again. I turned around. She was there, now clean, holding an infant in her arms. Isn't she beautiful? Her name's Abigail. I trembled. We never had a child, Rebecca. You're right, hon. This is the baby I would have birthed if I'd lived long enough to have her. Don't you remember picking out names? Jack for a boy after his father and Abigail for a girl? I remembered. We laid in the field for hours one night, looking up at the full moon and discussing where our life together was headed. At one point, we talked about children. Rebecca wanted three, but I insisted no more than two. One boy, one girl. Jack and Abigail. We mapped out their childhoods and pictured every moment. There would inevitably be some tough times, but we agreed it would all be worth it. I remember, Rebecca. She walked over to me and handed me the baby. I looked into its eyes. She was perfect. It was hard to say how I knew her. But it was her. The same Abigail we pictured years ago. You should have saved me, Jack. Now they'll never exist. A harsh wind came from the forest. I watched in horror as Abigail's form turned to dust and blew away through the gaps between my fingers. I'd only known her for a moment, but still I cried. My little girl, gone. Why are you doing this? I pleaded. Her face was now tinged with anger. You deserve to feel the same regret I felt. I plunged the blade into my skin, but you could have stopped it. I needed you in that field, and you weren't there. With that, the floodgates opened. A dam of tears burst and streamed down my side. So too did the blood water around us. 
It towered overhead for a brief period before crashing into me. Once above the waves, I watched as Rebecca walked across the water and into that red door. She looked back and offered me one last sentiment. Goodbye, Jack. The torment was over, but it had taken its toll. I let myself sink into the depths of the ocean. It would be my final resting place. After everything that had been dredged up, I truly wanted to die. I kept wavering in and out of consciousness. I could hear Henry and the man arguing. He's not doing well in there. We have to cut him loose. We can't afford the backlash if this gets out. Pull yourself together, Henry. If we can just get one more good one. That was the last thing I heard before passing out. For a time, I drifted through the black void of a dreamless slumber until finally, something pulled me out. Rebecca's voice. A thunderance cadence that would have woken even a bear from hibernation. Wake up, Jack. I awoke in a white room, the kind of which I recognized. It was a hospital. It seemed I was being looked after. A nurse was checking my vitals when she looked over and noticed my open eyes. Oh, gosh, you're awake. Brilliant. You've been out for quite some time. What happens? I asked in a groggy slur of speech. You were found in the field behind your home, out cold. You've been comatose for nearly 24 hours. I tried pulling myself into a sitting position. She pushed my shoulders back down. Please, rest. You've lost a lot of electrolytes. I'll get the doctor. She'll help. Sit tight. The nurse left, and I gathered some composure. Comatose, huh? Does the body wonders. Strange nightmares, repressed memories, the works. I let out a morbid laugh, amazed that my brain could even construct such dream worlds. Within moments, the doctor came in and greeted me. She explained my battered state and advised me to stay for observation over the next few days. I agreed. We went over the finer points of my treatment, but then took a detour to ask me a question. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. What happened to your head? My head? I asked, unsure what it was she was referring to, and then I noticed the faint brush of gauze against my scalp. Here, take a look. She handed me a mirror and carefully removed the bandage. I was mortified by the sight. Above my eyes were three perfectly straight cuts etched across my skin. Thank you.